Welcome. Glad to have you with us on Gary on Guns. Chuck Basie is with us, former state representative, Second Amendment supporter. We keep him on board to keep eavesdropping on the legislature and tell us what they're planning. He knows uh, where the bodies are buried. Yeah, absolutely. The other voice you just heard, Dale Roberts, MoGunLaw.com. And Garson is in from Graffs with some intriguing firearms. Let's start with the pistol with this unique front sight. Yeah, so this is a, well, we were talking about Glock clones earlier. This is Stoger, which is part of the Beretta Benelli family. Um, this is their Glock clone. And this one is, uh, much like Shadow Systems, pretty decked out from the factory. Um, the, the sights on it you were talking about are suppressor height, fiber optic sights. Um, does have a threaded barrel, hence the suppressor sight, uh, height sights. Uh, this is also already cut for an optic. Um, Magwell, three 21-round mags. So they're 15-round mag bodies with a six-round extension on them. And you got three of them in there. Um, stainless steel mags uh, made in Italy, so I'm guessing they're Metgar magazines. The, uh, the trigger on it is, I'd say, four pounds, four and a half pounds, but it breaks clean, and when it breaks, the sights, the sights don't even move off of target. So, um, even though it's a little heavy, it's, it's a good clean break. The back strap is replaceable. Uh, it comes with three different, uh, yeah, three different size back straps and it's got a mag wheel on it. It's only 630 bucks. So if you're looking for a fancier off the shelf gun at a more moderate, uh, moderate price than some of the fancier Zevs and shadow systems of the world, this, uh, definitely warrants your consideration. And we've got a bunch of different models. So this is like their this is their top of the line flagship model, and they've they've got this in a bunch of different trim lines with um, di a lot of different features. So there's there's even cheaper ones than this if you're looking for just a plain Jane Stoger. Um, what is the price break on this? This one is six hundred and thirty bucks, and I think I think the the base model started around four hundred. Wow. So uh, and they do and they do compacts and they do nine and forty. I think. We got like eight of these in. I think they're all nines. Um, so this this trim model, some of the compacts, and some of the some of the less featured versions of this as well. So we've got a we've got a, a selection of these in stock right now, and a couple a couple in each variety. And oh, man, this is this has got it all. Go ahead, Dale. I was just going to say, did you say that's a twenty round mag? Twenty one round. Good lord. So twenty two in the gun at the start. So, how sad is this? I mean, I could remember some years ago when three 20-round magazines would almost cost that much. Remember yeah. when people were paying 150 bucks for a high-cap mag when well, they were banned? Dur quotes? During the ban, yeah, yeah uh, an STI double-stack 120-millimeter mag would run you 200, 300 bucks used. Um And nobody made extensions like this. This is, this is a pretty high-end extension. It's nice. It's machined aluminum. And extensions like this are 80, 90 bucks a pop from a lot of manufacturers. Um, now, they've, they've come down in price, and there's guys making them out of plastic and 3D printing them and a bunch of other options. But, yeah, for that, for that style and, and kind of extension, you're, you're 50 bucks minimum. So that's 150 in mag extensions on no that kidding. gun already. So that is really they, packed out. Yeah, they're packing a lot of stuff into a small package. And um, the finger grooves I actually like more than the than the Glock 
like Gen three finger grooves. These are these are more akin to the HK finger grooves. I, they're they're wider and more dished, so you can get a better wrap around from either side of the gun. That is really nice. Um, all right, um, at this point, um, we need to make a special announcement, um, and I'll let uh, Chuck do this. Uh, Chuck, you want to ask your wife to quit listening for a few minutes? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, yeah. tell us tell us about the rifle about what you're jonesing over here. All right, so what? Chuck uh, no, was, no, 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 no. Uh, you want Chuck? I was, to- <laughs> I was hoping that Chuck would tell us. Here, I'll hand it to him. Oh, go ahead, Garson. <laughs> Well, I'll let him hold it while I talk about it. All right. <laughs> so, you know, af- after the military got rid of the Grand, they went to the M14. And this is the civilian version of that, the Springfield Armory M1A. So it's a semi-auto M14. Uh, this one happens to be the walnut-stocked uh, scout, uh, scout Squad rifle. So it's got a, a Picatinny rail ahead of the receiver on the barrel so you can mount a forward scout-style optic. Um, if you if you watched uh, Black Hawk Down, this was uh, the rifle that uh, one of the snipers that crawled out of that helicopter uh, to rescue or defend that down pilot had on him when he got off the chopper. Um, I think his was synthetic, which we have at the shop. I didn't bring both of them since we had two. Uh, we've got the walnut stocked version here, and I left the synthetic version at work, um, although... The walnut is heavier, so I probably should have brought the synthetic because it would have been lighter to carry. But that that walnut is so nice. Yeah, th- it, and that's why I brought it. That walnut is beautiful. It is it is darn good looking wood. Um, this is an 18 inch barrel. Uh, it's got a flash hider on it that's about four inches long. So um, it's got to be super effective. I've not actually shot one with that style of flash hider, um, but it it looks pretty effective. I know the one on the on the SOCOM Scout is a little shorter but it barks pretty loudly this one looks like it's going to be a lot a lot more uh nice to your ears (laughs) so chuck what is it about this that you like so much well i i briefly carried an m14 when i was in the uh marine corps um but um it it just uh brings back a little bit of memories but it's just a nice looking rifle it's just the the walnut stock is just absolutely beautiful yeah, the furniture and, on this uh, does not it doesn't look nicked up. It's no, pretty good. No. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, try that trigger out because this has got a better trigger yeah. than than your standard M14. It's a it's a tune from the factory national match trigger. Um, for some reason, Springfield's been shipping these with ten round magazines, so it deserves a twenty round magazine. And we do have twenty round magazines at the shop and in stock. What would be a package deal for this rifle and a new safe? I, I'm aware of the I will work you out a deal. <laughs> I'll work you out a deal and I'll help you install it and bolt it down in your hotel room. <laughs> in, in what? In his hotel room? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or will Dell let you take his extra room? <laughs> Do I get a cut of the commission because I've got him holding the rifle? <laughs> no, we actually have to charge you a transaction fee since we're doing it you know, here at your radio station. Well, that doesn't seem fair. I'm helping you out here. I got it in his hands. He's. It's like taking a, a car for a test drive. Once, you know, once you've got it in your hands, once you're you're feeling it, and you imagine yourself out in the range. Um, oh no, you you got to make up for the extra taxes because uh, we're doing the transaction in Boone County. 
Just, you know, I, I, I don't. You know, you and and Brian Hansen have a deal going somehow, uh, where where you guys get all the money and I and I get nothing out of it. I I think I'm I'm being. Well, I mean, we sent you your check. You didn't get it. No. Yeah, yeah. We sent it a couple weeks ago. Might have been made the mailbox. To, it might have been made out to the cat. Might have been made out to the cat. So I guess no scratch for me. <laughs> all right. This thing does have a nice trigger. Yeah. Beautiful trigger. And yeah. Uh, I can't afford it, uh, Dale. Don't buy it. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the shotgun because this is, this is pretty. Yep. So these have been hard to get. This is Mossberg's retrograde line. Uh, and this is the, the top of the line retrograde. It's the 590A1. So this is basically um, what what Mossberg was supplying to the military, um, you know, in the Vietnam era. It's it's their standard pump-action shotgun with the military 590 barrel, uh, heat shroud on the barrel, and a ghost ring sight. Um, Woodstocked. It's got a bayonet lug, and that does take um, U.S. military um, pattern bayonets. So this is exactly what, you know, some of your... Fathers or grandfathers would have would have been packing around in Vietnam, and maybe even Korea. Um, it's a it's a little too new for for World War II use. Uh, it's a little more modern than those trench guns, but it it follows in that in that same pattern of the trench gun. I have one of those, an original. From, well, an earlier one uh, doesn't have the ghost ring sights, but it's got the heat shroud and everything else. It's the five, I think the 590 Defender or something like that. Great gun. Yeah, the, the 590 is probably the most robust shotgun that I've I've had the chance to use as far as pump guns go. I, I know a lot of people prefer the 870, but I, I think the Mossbergs are actually a tougher design and and a and a lot more robust as far as durability. Nice looking shotgun. Uh, yeah. So 18, uh, no, 20 inch barrel on this one. Uh, so that gives you an eight-round magazine tube, uh, plus one in the chamber. You know, Chuck, there's no sense in buying that safe for the new rifle and leaving it alone in there. Yeah, it, would, it would be nice to have the shotgun sitting right next to it to yeah, offer I mean, protection. So yeah. you could protect Rhonda. If yeah. <laughs> in for a dime, in for a dollar. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, maybe if I traded in a couple of my... Uh, Existing weapons for well, your brother's got to build up his armory when he gets back from California. That is, right? That's correct. So uh, you know, just let him buy it and then just shoot his guns. Yeah, that's what I can do. I can have him buy it and I can borrow it when I need it. Exactly. Yes, you'll store it out of the kindness of your heart <laughs> at your house. Yeah. How could you go wrong? Yeah. All right, listen, we got to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. You are listening to Gary on Gun. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, by the way, uh, you can send, uh, if you've got a, a firearms question, uh, maybe we don't get it in this week, but uh, you want to send a question in, uh, you can do it by going to GaryNolan.com, send me uh, the, your question, and then uh, the following weekend, uh, if, if we get it uh, during the week, we'll, we'll give you the answer uh, from the gun guys. And uh, before we get too far along, because we're going to talk about long-range uh, sniper rifles, uh, I'm going to chat with Gary because he has a shotgun question. Gary, good morning. Welcome hey, good morning, to Gary, Gary. And, guns. and guys. Hey, I, a question: How prevalent were shotguns in Vietnam or in in any uh, conflict after that? 
And that, that's my question. I, I will all listen. All right, Gary. Thank you for the call. Uh, uh, any of you guys know? I do not. Um, yeah, I, I was never... I, I don't know of anybody, you know, in my four years in the Marine Corps, I don't. I, I never saw anyone issued a shotgun. Well, Dale? certainly but, in the Air Force. <laughs> maybe, maybe military police might have had them. I, I don't know. Yeah, I you know, active duty Air Force and then reserves in the Navy never saw them. But during the break, Garson was just... What were you saying about the, or was that the the rifle that the Marines bought? The Benelli M, uh, M1014? Shotgun. Yeah, so that, the civilian version of that is the Benelli M4, and the Marine Corps bought a ton of those. Is so, that what Garson said? I thought Garson said... It was darn good looking wood. I thought that's what Garson said. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I don't know about that. But so I know. I mean, you so know, he, he's one of these. He's one of these slam journalists that takes statements out of context. <laughs> I see how it is. <laughs> anyway, I mean, you know, I would not. I, go ahead, Dale. Well, I was just going to say, you know, there are stories and photos of soldiers, you know, in the trenches or out in the field with shotguns, but I've never contemplated how, you know, what percentage of them were carrying shotguns or had them available versus the. M1 or an AR. Interesting question. I just hadn't occurred to me before. Hmm. All right. Well, um, I would, uh, just as an aside, uh, I want Garson to know uh, that I would never, uh, can, you know, bring that audio up and play it out of context just to embarrass you. I, I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> it was darn good looking wood. Um, that would just be so unfair. So we'll, we'll move on. It was darn good looking wood. What? I'm sorry. Uh, all right. I'm about to talk to Brian uh, during the next break. <laughs> uh -oh. All right. Uh, so we have uh, some of the longest range sniper rifle uh, rifles uh, used uh, by militaries around the world. Uh, number 10 on the list is the Barrett M90. Has a maximum effective range of 5,900 feet. What? That, that's what? 5,900 feet? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, didn't, um, uh, what's his name? I uh, can't think of the guy's name now. Murphy? Or made, a, made a shot from over a mile away. Um, uh, I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, let's move on because we've got some more. Uh, the Tasco 7ET3, maximum range 6,560 feet. Uh, it's a Ukrainian rifle uh, and entered into service in 2018. Uh, the Robar RC-50, 6,560 feet. Uh, it's an American-made. Uh, it was entered into service in 1985. Uh, it's used by Turkey, United Kingdom, uh, the U.S., and Malaysia. Wow. That's... For civilian use, can you guys think of... You know, beyond just uh, you know target practice for the fun of it. I mean, who goes hunting uh, six thousand five hundred and eighty feet away from something? Well, first of all, it it would be highly unethical to try and take game at those distances. Um, yeah, but so there's a civilian shooting competition called the King of Two Mile, and that's held in a number of countries, and that that would be where well, most of those guns are all custom built single shot rifles but 
there are guys using some of these platforms as the basis for their custom rifles because they're accurizing them even further than their than their you know as, sold as condition. Uh, there's a Chaytac intervention. It is uh, good for six thousand five hundred and sixty feet. Uh, it is uh, the country of origin is the United States. Entered service in '01, uh, and it is used by Italy, Poland, Turkey, and the United Kingdom. Uh, one, uh, another one, and some of these I've never heard of. Uh, the Zato Snipex Alligator, six thousand five hundred and sixty uh, sixty-one feet. Yeah, that's a fairly new Ukrainian rifle. Yeah, twenty twenty. Wouldn't you know that? Um, that you would know. You'd recognize the Shytac from uh, Mark, as Mark Wahlberg's rifle in the movie Shooter. Wow, six thousand five hundred and sixty-one. Whew. Um, there's another rifle that uh, ties that, uh, the Vid Hongsank AMR. I'm sure I'm uh, pronouncing that uh, badly. It's from India. It was entered into service in 2007. Um, the Macmillan TAC-50. Are you familiar with that, Carson? Yep, that's one of Macmillan, or that's Macmillan's bolt-action 50 cal rifle. 6,561 feet. Uh, the Armalite AR-50. 8,000 feet. Oh. I don't know if they still make that, um, but that, yeah, that's, that's a single shot. That's actually more of a target rifle. I don't know if anyone's actually used that um, for actual uh, sniping purposes. Uh, according to this article, it's been used uh, by the U.S. military and the Malaysian military. Huh. I'm, I'm surprised our military uses those. Interesting. Um, Bayer 23, I, I don't know, again, if I'm mispronouncing this, it's a, it's an Iranian rifle, 9,840 feet, um, entered into service in 2015, it's used by Iran, and the number one, uh, long range is the WKW Wilk Tor, uh, with a range of 9,842 feet, it's a Polish rifle. Uh, and it's been used by the uh, military in Ukraine, Poland, Saudi Arabia, and uh, the Vietnamese. Yeah, and these are all mathematical approximations of effective range, because without without the proper person behind it, that rifle may do you no know, better than you know uh, a Remington 700 at 300 yards. Yeah, I don't I don't know how practical uh, it is, uh, but it would be fun to try and you know. Hit a target. What is the name of that uh, contest you were telling us about, the Garson? King, the used, King of Two Mile. The King of Two Mile. Wow. That sounds like fun. All right. A uh, couple of law enforcement stories I want to kick around with everybody on Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Uh, we've got uh, Chuck Basie, former state representative, Second Amendment supporter on the program right now, jonesing for a rifle that he uh, just might, might just buy if... We can just distract his wife for a little while. Uh, then we've got Dale Roberts with us. Mo this whole thing, I've had it for years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, Garson from Graphs. Before I get into this uh, correlation without causation story from uh, uh, Gabby Gifford's group on uh, the availability of firearms, uh, I want to talk about reloading with Garson because you guys are known... Literally worldwide uh, for your reloading supplies. Um, 
so now you usually work the back room, uh, which is good for retail. Uh, customers come in, they don't see you. Uh, but I'm curious, um, when uh, when people are uh, uh, buying this uh, the equipment uh, and the gunpowder and the and the shells and the bullets, uh, you know, what kind of quantities do individuals purchase? I mean, is it you know, do they, do they get huge quantities, uh, 100, 200 rounds, uh, thousands of rounds? What, what, how does it work? What, what does the average person do? Um, it varies. I mean, so like the average competitor, competitive shooter is buying, you know, you know, cases of powder and thousands of projectiles and hundreds of cases, whereas, you know, the hunter is, is probably buying higher end components, but you know, maybe in 200, 300 round quantities and maybe pounds of powder at a time. So it really depends on, on what, what their, what their use for the ammo they're making is. Cause there's a, there's a big discrepancy between, you know, a hunter and a competitive shooter and, and the rounds that they need, uh, for what they're doing. How difficult is it to, to ship the powder? I mean, I would think that uh, the government would have a gazillion regulations on that. Yeah, DOT regulates it pretty strictly. It is it is a, a 4.1 or a 1.4 explosive. So as long as it is packaged accordingly and shipped um, for the for the methods allowed for that class of explosive, it's it's a twenty something dollar hazmat fee that we have to pay FedEx or UP or FedEx or um, UPS um, until they decide that they no longer want to deal with it. Do you have any, any idea which states buy the most? Surprisingly, California by far is still our largest customer. Why would California well, be? Yeah, how does that... I, I assume it's just because of the population. Huh. Maybe it's because they're afraid that if they go to a retail store to buy ammo that... Uh... Yeah, there is that. So you have to you have to go through a background check to get ammo in california but there are no no real restrictions on reloading components oh i bet that but, has but something to do with it even before that went into effect i think just because of the sheer population of california they're they're still our largest customer domestically so Cal california has uh don't they check your id when you buy ammunition do they have no you have to do a background check you, you don't, yeah, the ID doesn't it. cut it. You yeah. actually have to go through a background check to acquire ammo, and they limit the amount of ammo you can own, purchase, and possess. So, yeah, I could, I, could, I never yeah. thought about the, the uh, reloading workaround. If no. I'm in California, I'm going to do that. I'm going oh, yeah. to get the machinery and, and uh, just make my own. What a pain. Every time you want to buy ammo, you've got to do what? Is it a NICS check, or do they have their own? It, it's a state version of that, but yes. Wow. And yet, uh, they have the highest number of mass shootings of any state in the union. All that gun control. Um, I, I want, there's a story in the news, and I and it and it, it it just it made me crazy. Uh, because the this woman who's defending her family member who was killed by police 
In fact, we've got a, a story here in Columbia, uh, Missouri, that that uh, is bizarrely uh, similar. But anyway, this this guy gets pulled over um, for a traffic violation, and when they check his ID, it turns out that there's a warrant for him. So they ask him to get out of the car, and he doesn't. And then a, a, a struggle ensues, and he starts uh, taking off uh, while, the one, while these two cops are, like, half in the car. And the one police officer shoots the guy, and he dies. And his, I think it was his sister, is screaming about police abuse. How could they do this? Why did they shoot him? They shouldn't have shot him, blah, blah, blah. And all I can think of is... Well, he should have got out of the damn car. When the police said, get out of the car, he should have gotten out of the car. He shouldn't have resisted. It starts with this uh, this guy not doing what he's supposed to do and ends up with somebody defending him and attacking the police. It's kind of crazy making for me, Dale. I agree. And there's, and especially in Colombia, for example, you have so many opportunities for recourse after you've been stopped. If the officer did something improper, uh, you know, legally with the Citizens Police Review Board, administratively with the department, uh, you know, you could talk about all that stuff if you live to do so. But if you pick a fight with somebody with a gun uh, and you you know, engage in criminal behavior, that's usually not going to go well. That's, well, you've started down that road. And I'm not just, I mean... You're not in a court of law. That's not where you're arguing your case. They're, they're there to arrest you, issue you a ticket, citation, whatever it may be. That, that's not where you are supposed to defend yourself. That's what, that's what going to court is for. And that's where you state your case and, and you know, prove your innocence or you know, admit your guilt or whatever you're planning on doing. You know, I'm law enforcement and I stop you and I realize that that uh, you've got a warrant uh, and I ask you to get out of the car and you put it in gear, especially with, you know, you know, two two police officers half in the car. I got to wonder what you're up to. Uh, it, it's, you know, it it starts with just doing what the cop tells you to do. It's not that hard to understand. And it's not something that just applies to black Americans. Everybody knows this. My parents taught me this. Uh, and I'm sure you guys had your parents teach you this stuff. What, you do what you're told when the police stop you. And, and as Garson pointed out, if you've got a problem, you take that to court. You fight that out later. These guys had no idea where he was going, what he was up to. But he was clearly up to no good or he would have stopped. He would have gotten out of the car. Yeah, to, to quote Tim Oliver, you play Simon Says for your life. Yeah, it's stupid. Um, and and I feel sorry for, for law enforcement. Dale probably has a, 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 you know, a, a better grasp on this uh, because uh, you worked for years uh, with uh, the Columbia Police Department uh, from the CP, working with the CPOA. But when these guys pull a trigger... They're not gleeful. They're not cheerful. And in fact, they're they're not even blasé about it. Uh, it's got to bother them 
forever. Absolutely. And I, and I know of, of uh, one officer who was put in a position where he was forced to do so and uh, ended up leaving the profession. I mean, he, it, it took such a toll. Uh, I mean, he didn't want to do it, but that's, you know, he had to, in that moment, he had to act. Uh, so it's not, it's not like, you know, yeah, I wrote him a ticket and went on with my business. It's a pretty severe, serious event. Yesterday, and in, in, again, this is uh, in Columbia, Missouri, yesterday afternoon, uh, a guy committed suicide by cop. Yes. Officers spoke to the man, uh, cleared a call around uh, 357. Man called 911, requested officers back to the scene. Uh, when they arrived, police say the man was armed and started firing shots into the air. Uh, then he started directing gunfire toward the police. They don't have any choice. And it's, you know, the officer's, you know, first responsibility is, you know, protecting those people in the, in the vicinity. The officer's not protecting herself. Uh, she's concerned about the person who's firing the gun and the people next door, the people out in the yard, you know, other people around there. And in this case, according to the media, this person was just popping off shots, you know, firing here and there before I believe this person turned the firearm on the officers. Uh, so it's, you're forcing them to act or you're forcing them to react to what you've done. When, when this happens, do these officers get counseling? Is there some mandatory, you got to go talk to somebody about this? They absolutely have access to counseling. Uh, I, I know one of the individuals, professionals, who provides most of the counseling to them, and she's quite good. Um, I don't know that it's mandatory. I honestly, you know, in the years that I worked with the CPOA and the Columbia Police Officers, don't remember ever hearing of an officer being required to go to counseling, but they certainly have access to it, and I know uh, they a good number of them take advantage of that. As, and I certainly understand how they would. But my, my bottom line here is, I don't care the color of your skin, your ethnic origin, your age. When the cop tells you do something, just, <clears throat> just do it. Fight him later in court. You're alive then. And if you're the, you know, the family member of someone who's made the, uh, the, the poor judgment decision to resist arrest and ended up getting hurt because of it, don't argue the cop should have done something else. Argue your family member should have done something else. Because that's the message you want to send. That keeps people alive. All right, up against the clock. Quick break. Right back on Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Um, I'm going to run around the table here with this. <clears throat> Gabby Gifford's group has uh, put together a list of uh, the easiest and most difficult places to buy firearms and uh, the number of gun deaths. Uh, and this is from uh, the year 2021, which is apparently the uh, latest data they could get their hands on. So they say, for instance, California, which we just talked about, licensing and safety training requirements for handguns, uh, you have to get that before you can buy a gun. 
Universal background checks for handgun purchases, yes. Mandatory waiting periods for handgun purchase, 10 days. Minimum age for handgun purchase, 21. Minimum age for handgun possession, 18. And then they say gun deaths in 2021, 9 per 100,000, the eighth lowest of the 50 states. Uh, conversely, in uh, Missouri, uh, license and safety training requirement for handgun, none. Universal background check for handgun purchase, no. Mandatory waiting period for handgun purchase, none. Minimum age for handgun purchase, 18. Uh, minimum age for handgun possession, 18. Gun deaths in 2021, 23.2 per 100,000, ninth highest of 50 states. Uh, they've got correlation here, uh, Chuck. Uh, they don't, they don't uh, necessarily bring us uh, causation, but they've got correlation. And I'm wondering, for instance, um, licensing and safety training that says uh, universal background checks for handgun purchases. In, if you buy a, a, a handgun from any retailer in the country, don't you have to do that background check? Yes. So does this mean that California is safer? Because if we're in California and I want to uh, give my uh, 1911 double stack to uh, uh, to Dale, uh, he has to go through a background check. Is that does that sound like a, a reason why we have this disparity? I I'm not sure. Um, I wonder what the uh, stats would show if you. Uh, carved out Kansas City and St. Louis, maybe in Columbia. Oh, it'd be much different. It would, it would yeah, certainly it would. Uh, but how are they different than, say, Los Angeles and San Francisco? Major, major urban areas, yeah. all four of them. Yeah. Um, well, I wonder, I've never thought about that. How, you know, what percentage of the population in California is in those urban areas? But, I mean, you know, in Missouri, Kansas City, and St. Louis, the population there, the percentage of the population, the percentage of the votes who live in Kansas City and St. Louis, basically give us the effect where the tail wags the dog. You know, they decide for the entire state. So I wonder in California what the percentage is outstate versus L.A., whatever. Yeah, I... Anyway. In almost every state where there's a major urban area, it dominates the politics. Up in New York, it was Buffalo, New York City, um, pretty much dominating the rest of New York. In Ohio, it's Cleveland, Cincinnati, and, and uh, Columbus. Yeah, and uh, Illinois, here, Chicago. Yeah. Nope. Cook County, yeah. What's interesting is in those, uh, in those cities run by Democrats, you have the most gun violence. What I think they're giving us is correlation, no. but I don't think they're giving us causation. Right, and I think there's more to this. I don't. I don't see a date on this map, but all the large cities in California have a population density of over five thousand people per square mile, and then anywhere that's not a big city is anywhere from a hundred to ten people per square mile. And I don't see. Uh, drug dealers and gang members in California uh, making, you know, making their way to a firearm store to get a NICS check or a state background check before they 
sell the gun to their, you know, their best friend. I, I just, I don't see where that happens. It's just easier to bring the guns in with the drugs. <laughs> bring in the guns with the drugs. <laughs> Seriously. But, why yeah. why get a new gun from your friendly neighborhood drug dealer? Because yeah. they'll, yeah. have, they'll have better access to um, military weapons out of Mexico. Or that have been, you know, smuggled from further south. I don't know. I, 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 I've told the story before. A friend of mine was in Mexico and was offered an RPG for sale with rockets. Really? Yeah. Is that a curio and relic? Or? No, it was live. <laughs> and he's like, well, no. And he's like, well, I, I, I'll meet you in Texas with it. So he's willing to smuggle it across the border just to deliver a RPG and, and RPG ammo. Was that a part of Fast and Furious? No, this I don't know how long ago this was, um, but I mean, yeah, it it's it's apparently very easy to get whatever you want as far as arms can, are concerned in Mexico. That's not. Um, yeah, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. They've only got one legal store in the entire of Mexico selling well, that's guns right. retail. You can't be right. <laughs> They've got all that gun control down there. But yeah, I, I assume that if you make your way down to the border, it's probably pretty easy to get all kinds of arms that the uh, NFA would prohibit you from having. Well, they just constantly distort. Um, I, I'm not sure that I have enough time to get into anything too deep. Brian, what do we have left here? All right, we're not going to be able to. Very quickly, Garson, tell them what they can get at Graphs that you brought in. Two Springfield M1As, synthetic and walnut, uh, Mo uh, Mossberg 590 A1 retrograde, and a slew of Stoger Glock clones. And they are neat. Guys, thanks for being with us. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem. Gwen, baby. Honey, I'm coming home.